But we're in the book of James, but we're going to start off today, not in James, we're going to start off in Genesis, way in the beginning, the first book of the Bible. I'm going to start, then I'll talk about that for a second first. So um, I want to start today by looking at a story in Genesis, a story about the very first two siblings and their boys. Remember their names? Cain and Abel. I'm going to look at them because their relationship can help us to better understand what we're going to be looking at in the book of James. We're going to use this as an illustration to say, and this is a helpful, a helpful illustration to understand what James is writing about you know, thousands of years later. So in Genesis 4, we're going to go, we'll read in a second. Genesis 4, you can turn there. It tells the brief story about Cain and Abel. They're the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve by this time had been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Um, And why? Because they had chose to follow Satan's ways instead of God's ways. And as a result, they're now living under the curse of death because of sin. Now because, and people misunderstood this, misunderstand this, because of God's great love, what does God do next? He kicks them out of the garden. And you go, God's great love, he kicks them out of the garden. It was, Scripture very clearly says why God kicked them out of the garden. He said they were in this fallen state and he loves humanity so much that he takes them out of the garden that was designed. As a matter of fact, you want an idea of what heaven's going to be like, but take this and put it on steroids? It's the Garden of Eden on steroids. That's what the new heaven and new earth will be like. And so they're in this garden and God kicks them out because he says there's something in the garden that he can't give them access to. It's the tree of life. He says, I've got to kick you out of the garden because if you stay in the garden, you will eat from the tree of life and you'll live in this fallen condition forever. And God's saying, I can't deal with the fact that you would live in this fallen condition forever. So now, outside the garden and living under the curse of sin and death, Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, their first two sons. And it doesn't take too long for trouble to begin, does it? So look at Genesis 4 with me. We're just going to read this kind of short section, verses 1 through 8 of Genesis 4. Ready? It says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, so understand, they're still in relationship with the Lord, even though outside the garden. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a fleet keeper of the flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought brought the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And in other words, he made a sacrifice. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord then said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it must be masked and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. It's not the kind of family story you want to tell. You think your kids fight a lot? We used to always say this, our kids fight like cats and dogs. Um, We got nothing on Cain and Abel. Can you imagine 
one of your sons getting mad at the other son and killing them? Friends, what we see from, what I love about Scripture is it's honest. It doesn't sugarcoat. Josh and I, when we were speaking this weekend, we wanted to do one message that had to do with how you advance. The last one was advancing Christ in your circle of influence, and it had to do with family. And we said, here's the truth, guys. We looked at all the Bible, and there's not a decent family in the Bible. They're killing each other. They're committing fornication and adultery. They're, they're doing anything you can imagine. Kids trying to kill their dads. You know, brothers killing brothers. Conflict goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Hate, arguments, murder is the unfortunate and continual part of human interaction and even, newsflash, even in the church world. Cain and Abel's story helps us get a glimpse into why. Their story shows us this principle. Here's the principle we're going to talk about the whole day today. Conflict on the inside leads to conflict on the outside. Conflict on the inside leads to conflict on the outside. Cain was having conflict on the inside. He had given an offering to the Lord. It says the produce from his farming. But Abel, it was, a, it was a, also an offering, but he brought a sacrifice. He brought an a, 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 a animal from his flocks, and it says, and the fat portion. So it was a sacrifice to the Lord, an animal from his flock. And it says God had no regard for Cain's offering because God was looking for a sacrifice, which is a foreshadowing, a look forward to the fact that Jesus one day would sacrifice himself on the cross in order to pay for people's sins. And it said that God gave, that, 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 uh, that, that Cain um, you know, gave it to his thing to God and, and God didn't receive it because it was a sac- offering, not a sacrifice. And, and God gave Cain a chance to get it right. He said, hey, your countenance is falling, but it doesn't have to. Your countenance will be lifted up. Just do right. But instead of listening and learning from the Lord, instead, what did he do? He got mad, and at his first opportunity, he killed his brother Abel in a field. Now, question. Was the conflict really between Cain and Abel? Was that the conflict? No. Cain's conflict was internal. Cain's conflict was with himself. He was mad on the inside. Why? He was offended because God was correcting him. God said, hey, you're not doing it right, but you can do it right. He said, just do it right and you'll be fine. But he's offended because what he did, he thought, well, God, that's not good enough. I don't want to do it your way. And he's offended. His problem was on the inside, but it was expressed on the outside towards his brother. First opportunity, he kills his brother. Saying, my problem's with you, the problem's with him at all. The issue wasn't the issue. The problem was on the inside that manifested on the outside. Now friends, this is the idea that we want to understand today when we turn in our Bibles now to the book of James. So flip almost to the other side of your Bible from the front to the back to the book of James to chapter 4 from the book of James. We're going to look at three verses. This is the idea, the story we just looked at. Conflict on the inside results in conflict on the outside. This is what James is talking about when he writes to the people and the churches that are scattered around outside Jerusalem. That's his audience. They're Christian people. And James, what James does, if you don't know how the book of James really operates, is kind of like the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. He gives little nuggets of truth and wisdom and how to live a good life, especially in hard times times of, 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 of misunderstanding and persecution because that's what the people um, were living in that he writes to. 
So let's look at what James says about this idea, conflict on the inside leads to conflict on the outside. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasure that wage war in your members or within you, is what some of you are saying. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And look what he does here. He starts with a question. He said, what is causing, what is the source of the quarrels and the fights that are going on among you? What's, what, what's the reason for them? See, obviously, even back in Jesus' time, he's looking at church people, that the church people had conflicts. They had conflicts with each other. They had conflicts with their children. They had conflicts in their marriages. And James looks at it. He sees the conflicts going on, that he, the people he's running to. He goes, what do you think the cause of the conflicts are among you? And he doesn't let them answer. He gives them the answer. He said, I'll tell you what it is. He says, it's evil desire at war within you. So that's it. He says, the cause, the source of conflict is not this. It's not, well, that guy cut me off in traffic, and that's why I saluted him. You know, the cause is not, well, she didn't do the dishes like I asked her to do, and I got mad and yelled. He says, that's not the cause. He says, the cause, the source, is evil desires at war within each of us. The source, the cause, he says, is on the inside, and it is expressed on the outside. And James says it is expressed, how's he say? What's he say in the text here? Through schemes and murders and fights and wars. All the things that go on around the world. He says it's all tied to this. That conflict on the inside leads to conflict on the outside. And if we think about it, isn't that true? Most arguments and fights that occur in your marriage, between your kids, at work, whatever, wars between countries, are really not about what's being thought about. You know, usually the issue is not the issue. Suzanne says it to me all the time. We're going through something right now with a person not from this church at all and just an issue in a business situation. And it's, it's, it's really ridiculous what's going on. And Suzanne keeps reminding me, well, the issue's not the issue. This guy's got a really difficult life. And so the issue's not the issue. He's got to have somebody to get mad at. And it's true in our, in our situations. The issue is usually not the issue. We say the issue is that you dented the car... And that's why I blew a gasket and punched a hole through the drywall in the house. Right? You done to the car, how dare you do that? But that's not the real issue. The real issue is that a person is so angry on the inside that the slightest thing can set them off and cause an overreaction to what happens. The issue usually isn't the issue. Because conflict on the inside leads to conflict on the outside. And James identifies the problem on the inside. He says this, is what's he call it? Evil desires that are within you. And we need to unpack this because I think there can be a lot of misunderstanding about what James isn't isn't saying here. James is talking about evil or wrong desires on the inside of us that can lead us to pursuing wrong things. And he's saying you pursue things wrongly. You want it, you pursue it. He says, for example, he gives an, op, an example here. He says, you are jealous for what someone else has. You want it, so you fight to take it away from them. It all starts with an evil desire within you. He says, the desire is this. You want what they have. And that evil desire, friends, 
comes from a belief, it comes from a narrative that says that this, that if I have what they have, then I'll be happy. The source of the evil desire is the misbelief that something can make you happy. It's a wrong desire. It's an evil desire. It's evil in the sense that it's because it's focused on the wrong thing. It's a belief that something can satisfy, that something could ever, something, some event could ever make a person happy. You know, if you have lived any amount of life, you've concluded that I thinking is totally wrong, this idea that something can make me happy. And I honestly believe this. I think God loves us so much and so gracious that he's arranged the world and life in such a way that it's designed to teach us this lesson that James is trying to teach us here, that, that nothing, things can't make you happy. Let me ex- explain. When I was young, you guys know something I like to fish, right? You know that? I don't fish nearly as much as I'd like to. But when I was young, I had to have a fly rod. You know what a fly rod is? Fly rod, you know, peel out... My dad always talked about fly fishing. And so I had to have a fly rod. And so I saved and I worked and I did everything. I, I used to, you guys can imagine this, younger. I used to collect newspapers. I literally had the little red wagon. And I lived in Cedarburg. I'd go to house to house. Have any old newspapers? They'd give me the newspapers and I'd fill the wagon up. I'm not lying that high. I'd pull them back to my house and I would tie them with string. And then when there was enough to fill my dad's pickup truck up, We'd go down to Milwaukee to Recycling Center and we'd sell all those newspapers and I'd get like $2 or something. I would do any odd job. And I did all this odd jobs, everything, because I don't know the difference. <laughs> Why did I buy you guys fishing rods? My dad made me earn mine. But um, so anyways, um, I did all this and I finally went downtown Cedarburg and now it's a bakery, but on the corner downtown Cedarburg at the main intersection where the chocolate factory is across the street, across the street there, I think, I don't know, maybe it's an insurance place and there's a bakery. That used to be a hardware store. Anybody remember that? Was that True Value Hardware? I think True Value. I bought my first gun there and my first fishing rod there. A Boedo brand 20-gauge shotgun and I bought a, a fly rod there. I saved and I saved and I saved and I bought a fishing rod, a fly rod. And I loved my fly rod. I didn't realize when I bought it, it didn't come with line. And I didn't have enough money to buy line, so my dad actually kicked in and he bought the line for me, the floating fly line that went on the fly rod. I was proud. I had my fishing rod. This is God is my witness is what happened. The first time I went to use it, the very first time I'm riding my bike and I ran the fly rod right through the spokes of my bike and cut it up into little pieces. I learned very early on this truth. That thing didn't make me happy. <laughs> that thing made me very sad that it was broken. Um, and interestingly, my parents didn't buy me a new one. I'm like, oh, that's big. That's, sorry, bud. <laughs> Collect some more newspapers. <laughs> after it was a fly rod, after the fly rod, it was a mini bike. After a mini bike, it was a Volkswagen Beetle. That was my first car. It was awesome. After that, it was a Ford Pinto. I had a Ford Pinto. After that, it was more guns, more fly rods, more fishing rods, more trips. If I just go there and go fishing, if I just go there and see that mountain, if I just go there, more trips, um, more education. If I get this degree and then I get that degree, more homes, marriage. Kids? Well, one wasn't good enough. We had to have two. Um, Should have had 12. Should have had 12. 
They're awesome. Kids? Career? Career? Moving from one place to another in the career? And guess what we learn after we get each of these things that we just had to have because if I get it, I'll finally be happy. Guess what we learn? Happiness isn't found in something. Happiness isn't found in something. I think God allows us to do the cycle over and over until hopefully one day we wake up and discover this. Happiness isn't found in something. It's found in someone. Happiness on the inside that results in kindness and peace and joy on the outside comes from good desires. Desiring the right thing, which is really desiring the right one. See, the problem isn't desire. A lot of Christian people have made a lot of mistakes. I was raised mainline church, and what they taught us is that desire itself was bad. A lot of people make the mistake to think that desire is bad. To think that a pious and a holy life is one which lacks desire. So there's no sexual desire. There's no desire for fun. There's no desire to achieve or to experience. You're supposed to sit around and pray all day. No. Desire isn't the problem. Desire is from God. God made you to desire. Evil or misplaced desire is the problem. We need to try, try and fail and try and fail enough times at believing that something can make us happy until we learn that only someone can make us happy and that we then desire that someone and that someone, friends, is God. This is what the psalmist, over and over, the, the uh, psalmist, David, the man of, of great desire, great passion, great desire. He loved life. This is what he's trying to express when he wrote multiple things in the Psalms, things like this. He said, as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God, from Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Or he says this, he wrote, my soul thirsts for you, God. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water, from Psalm 63. He expresses desire, great desire, good desire in that it is focused on the only thing that can ever really give true happiness within. And friend, that's the cure for anger and unrest inside that then leads to conflict on the outside. That's why Gene says to ask God, in the text he says, ask God for the right things with the right desire. Friends, he won't give you what will only lead you to more frustration on the inside, but he will give you what will lead to joy on the inside so that you can live at peace and enjoy everything else that you do have on the outside. And what he gives is himself. That's why Jesus himself, this is what he meant when he said that the cure for anxiety on the inside is this. He said, you want a cure for the anxiety on the inside that will manifest itself on the outside in all kinds of, of inappropriate and frustrating ways? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The heading in my Bible above that section says this, the cure for anxiety. He's saying, listen, try it all, but it doesn't work. 
He said, everybody else doesn't know the Lord, tries all these things, things that'll make them happy. He said, but here's that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, all that you need when you put things in the right order. When our life is about a passion for knowing and experiencing God, then, friends, we gain everything else also. The source of our quarrels and conflicts is evil desire that wage war within us. And the cure for quarrels and conflicts is desiring the right thing first. And that right thing is an abiding relationship with God. Now there's a pastor that maybe some of you have heard of. A very famous man. Um, a guy named John Piper. He's been screaming about this for 20 years. Literally, this is kind of his one message. He's been screaming about for 20 years. He's a pastor, he just retired a little while ago, of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And he wrote a book called Desiring God. It's an excellent book. If you don't have it, you should get it. I actually think you're reading it right now. I think you read it on vacation. I gave it to you. Um, it's probably been out for 20 years. Um, it's kind of one of those books that I'll go back and reread at times. In that book, he lists five convictions that he says we should build our lives upon. And these five are about how to live a life of desiring God so that we can enjoy Him and then enjoy life, the life that He's given us. And as a result, not live in the frustration that leads to conflict. So what I want to do today as we end, I'm not going to really expound on these much other than just show, read you these five things. They're going to be up on the screen so you can see them. I'll go through one at a time. And ask yourself, is this the way I live my life? Do I build my life on these five principles that are about desiring the right thing so that everything else turns out? So number one, the longing to be happy is a universal human experience and it is good, not sinful. The longing to be happy is a universal human experience and it is good, not sinful. You say, well, of course, but here's the deal. The church world for a long time has presented this asceticism that says, like, give everything up, that being happy is not the goal of life. I would say scripture says just the opposite. Being happy is the whole goal of life. Happy in the right thing. So the longing to be happy is a universal human experience and it is good, not evil. Number two, we should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide, listen, the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. There's right there. We should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing to be happy and nourish it with whatever will provide, and here's the key, because you could take this in the wrong direction, whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. Okay, you're going, hey, I like this guy so far. Number three, the deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Not from God, but in God. And there's a big difference. You're not saying, oh God, give me something. I'm over here, you're over there. I just want a gift from you. It's saying, no, that in God. The deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God, not from God, but in God. 
Number four, the happiness we find in God reaches its consummation or its greatest point when it is shared with others in the manifold ways of love. So, so it says, look at the happiness that we find in God reaches its greatest point, its consummation, when it is shared with others in the manifold ways of love, that we love other people with what God's doing inside of us. And then number five, to the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, we fail to honor God and to love people. Or to put it positively, the pursuit of pleasure is a necessary part of all worship and virtue. And that is, and this is this last little phrase, is a slight change from the Westminster Catechism. He changes one word, and this is, this is what he's famous for, this line right here. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Now, the Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But I think Piper's right. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying God, Him, forever. We are designed, friends, for contentment, not for conflict. The contentment inside and outside only flows from a life of happiness in Christ. You can buy all the fly rods in the world, and whatever your fly rod is, the perfect life, the perfect home, the perfect job. You can buy all of them and eventually you run them through the spokes. Eventually you realize that they do not give you what you thought they would give you. The contentment inside and outside only flows from a life of happiness in Christ. If we desire Him first, then we find the great life that only He can give us. And I appreciate that he lets us, he lets us run fly rods through, through bike tires to learn this lesson. Aren't you? You know what? Let's pray together. And let's welcome the Lord to just allow us thank Him and allow this idea of Him being number one in the only real way just to settle into our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you created desire within us. Lord, if there's this idea that it's so prevalent in the church world that says desire is bad, that really we, 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 we squash our desires, that somehow we think that couldn't be pleasing to God, Lord, just root that lie out right now. Thank you that you created us with desire within us. You want us to be happy and fulfilled. You created us to live in the abundance of a garden. And your promise is that someday you're going to bring a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to live in that and it's going to be what the garden was a million times better. That's your plan for us. Thank you that we find ultimate pleasure in this world when we find it in you. That you create us with desire and when we point, when we allow that desire to be pointed towards you and fulfilled in you, that God, that is where we then find real, true life. Because Lord, we know this. You are a good, good father. You love your kids. So Lord, help us to learn 
what it's like to know you more. Help us to learn what it's like that you would, could actually be our greatest desire. That real life is, is ultimately about experiencing the reality of a risen Savior in our day-to-day life. It's not about religion. It's not about rules to follow. It's not about condemnation. It's about the fact that you are alive and you're with us right now and you promised us you'd be with us in this very room by your Spirit and that you're here and that you offer to us the opportunity if we will turn to you to actually know you, the creator of the universe. That you give us that opportunity and you give it to us today. Help us, God, to know you as our greatest desire. Now maybe this morning as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're just having a moment of prayer, a moment of of just solitude, even though we're in a room of people, but it's, it's just between you and God right now. Maybe you're here and you've never really reached out to God. You've never come to terms with the fact that God himself made himself known to humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to reveal who God is because Jesus is God. He came to show us who God is and he came to show us how we can walk with him. Maybe you've been, you've heard religion, you've heard rules, you've heard regulations, but you've never understood that Jesus is really alive and by his spirit he's right here right now and and he wants to be engaged in your life and he wants to show you that if you will desire him first and walk with him that the reason he's first is because he makes everything right and then in him we can experience the good life that he plans for his kids maybe you're here today you've never really opened up your life to Jesus here's the truth according to God's word you can come to know Jesus today I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about getting religion. I'm talking about you can actually open up your heart today to experience the reality of the risen Christ. And He will change everything about your life. You can invite Him into your life today. And friends, as we're just in a private moment right now, and I really see no one's looking around. If you're here this morning, And you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. Something inside of you is saying, this is for me. And maybe you don't understand it completely. I've not done anything to coerce you. I don't believe for a second that something inside of you is the Holy Spirit of God. It says the Bible says doing this. He's drawing you to himself. The Bible says no man can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. And he pulls you by his Spirit. And he says, I'm here for you and I want you and I want you to come to me. And if you're feeling that inside right now, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and open up your heart and say, God, come in and make me brand new. Wipe away the junk and help me have a brand new start to this life so that I can live every day with you. That's you this morning. I'm going to invite you to do something bold, but it's only between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. I want you to look up at me and look me right square in the eyes. And I'm just going to scan the audience and just say, just make sure as I'm going around, I, I see you 
looking directly at you. Okay? Anybody else? Who's going to go? I'm in the center section now. Okay. I'm not going to call you out. I promise you or embarrass you. I'm giving you a chance to respond. the room say yes to Jesus. Here's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to invite our whole church family to pray this morning. All of us, we're going to pray out loud. And if you say, you know, I really, I really believe I want to say yes to Jesus. I want you just to pray. There's nothing special or magic about the words. We're just talking to God and you're saying yes to God. And I want you to join in as we all pray together. And you mean this from the depths of your heart. Invite Jesus into your life. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, need you. I need you. And today, and today I, welcome you I welcome you into my life. Into my life. God, I need, your help. I need your help. I really do want you in my life. I've not known how to do that. So today, so today I ask you, Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for all the junk in my life. Wash it away. And make me brand new. And so this day, Lord, I want to begin a journey with you. So I ask you, be my Savior be my Lord and Father I want to walk with you now all the days of my life thank you Lord. friends the Bible says this Jesus tells three stories stories of a lost son of a lost coin and of a lost sheep and all those stories he's talking about this he's talking about a person who's lost and he said in each one of the stories he says when someone who is lost, meaning they're not walking with Jesus, is found. It says there's more celebrating in heaven over one who comes to the Lord than 99 who are already there. So if you ask the Lord Jesus into your life today, and it's just the beginning, it's, it, you're just saying, I, I'm saying yes to God, now I want to go forward with Him. The Bible says there's a party, literally a party, a celebration going on in heaven. Because here's the deal, the reason... God came to this earth, the reason he made the earth is to be, in, to be in fellowship with you. And he created this world in a way to bring you to him. And so you're fulfilling God's plan for you. It starts by saying yes. Here's the deal. You can live your life with putting him first. And as you do that, what happens according to what we talked about today, when you do that first, then everything else works out. And so I would just say this, if you ask Christ in your life today, I always challenge people to do this, before the sun sets, tell someone that you know is a believer, a follower of Jesus. Tell them what you did, because here's the deal, you're going to need some help along the way. They need to know you want help, so just, you're not, you're not just like, say, begging for help, what you're saying is, I want you to know I've asked Christ into my life. And, and so that now you're now you're walking together and they can help you. And if you don't have a church, you're welcome to join with us. If you're from here in this area, you're welcome to join with us. That's why we exist. To help you come to know Christ and grow in your relationship. So you've started the greatest journey of your life. 
Let's stand together, church. Let's close in a prayer of blessing. And then remember, the Pinewood Derby is going on. And have a blast with that. If you can't stay, have a wonderful day in Jesus. Come back and join us Wednesday night if you want for all of our great classes or next Sunday. It's great to be part of the family of God, isn't it? So, Father, thank you that, Lord, um, you can calm the storm within so that we can live a good life without. And, Lord, we ask you now, as we walk out the doors, it's easy to hear about it, but now we want to put it into practice in our lives. So, Lord, we, we're walking out with a sense right now that, that yeah, Jesus, you're all, we're all in with you. We're, you're number one. Help us to learn how to live our lives like that moment by moment so that, Lord, we live the the joyous life that you promised to your followers. So let your goodness and your blessing rest on each one now today. In Jesus' name.